the church is a beautiful gift from God. It's certainly been an evidence of God's grace in my life. Many of my earliest memories are tied to the small local church that I went to in Bastrop, Louisiana with my family. Our, our lives seem to revolve around our local church. Our best friends were members of that local church. All of our activities and hobbies were in some ways tied to the local church. There was such a, a deep sense of community when I was growing up at Faith Baptist Church. And of course, the more important evidence of God's grace is that I first heard the gospel proclaimed there under the faithful ministry, preaching ministry of our pastor. I certainly also heard it in Sunday school classes, vacation Bible school, the many camps that our adult leaders took us to when I was in student ministry. I stand here today a product of the faithful ministry of the word of that local church and the many others that I've had the privilege of being a part of throughout the years as the Lord has moved me and my family as we seek to be obedient to his calling. The Lord brought me to saving faith and cultivated that faith, that faith Baptist church. The Lord called me to ministry and fanned into flame the calling of ministry at Florida Boulevard Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Lord strengthened my calling and trained me for ministry at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, among other blessings that I received there. And the Lord stretched my faith and my dependency upon him in my time at First Baptist Church of Irving. And now Jordan and I, along with our family, have the enormous blessing, the joy of being a part of this wonderful body of believers. And we've already begun to see the fruit of being a part of this local church. Every community of faith that I've been a part of, God has used to shape me for his glory. And I pray that that could be said of your story, that you've had similar experiences of God working, evidencing his grace through the local church. I certainly pray that would be true of your time here at Bayleaf, because that's what makes the local church such a gift. When a church is faithful to the ministry of the word, when a church is faithful to the call of Christ, lives are transformed by the gospel. We've seen that firsthand here in the rich history of our own church, and we long for it to continue in the years to come until that day that Jesus Christ returns. Friends, we want to see the lost saved from their sin, from a future of judgment to one of salvation in Christ. We want to see those who are saved grow as disciples of Jesus to faithfully serve him and his gospel. And that is the work that God has given to the church. Whatever else you hear in the next several weeks and our time together in Multiply, let us never lose sight of this ultimate goal because it is what is driving this initiative and everything that we do really as the people of God. We, God's people, are to be a unified witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the world can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're called to offer unified witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the world can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we are doing in Multiply is seeking to extend the reach of our witness so that others can have the same kind of stories that we have had. 
so that others can receive the gift of the gospel through the local church and their lives can be transformed for the glory of God. What I want to do this morning and our first Sunday of this Multiply series is to to attach, to show, to evidence how this purpose that we are declaring this morning walks right alongside, is obedient to the purpose for which the church was found in the first place. To show from the book of Acts that everything that we are seeking to do at Creedmoor Road is faithful to the mission that Christ gave to his bride from the beginning. And moreover, faithful to the mission for why this specific local church was founded 143 years ago. So let's look at Acts chapter one and two this morning to allow it to serve as a guide, to help us see the purpose of the church from the beginning and the hopes that it will shape and guide our mission and purpose today. We're gonna read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter one and then jump into chapter two and read the first four verses there. And here's what the word of God says. In the first book, O Theophilus, lover of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, hey Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, angels stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now chapter two. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here it is. The birth of the New Testament church. And this is such a a formative text for us because it's teaching us a lot about Christ's expectation of us as his people through the way it is formed. And I want to spend some time walking through some of these expectations that are clearly evident in the beginning in the hopes that the Lord will use them even now to refine for us the vision that he is giving to us for that Creedmoor Road property and then fuel our obedience 
to it, all right? So here are the four foundational expectations of the church that we see in Acts chapter one and two. I'm gonna give them all to you and then we'll walk through them individually. First, the church is meant to continue the ministry of Jesus. Secondly, the church has been empowered to continue the ministry of Jesus. Third, the church must be unified to continue the ministry of Jesus. And finally, the church must be faithful in the ministry of Jesus until he returns. Expectation number one, we are people of God meant to continue the ministry of Jesus. Now, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and his name may be a familiar one to you. He was mentioned by Paul at the end of 2 Timothy. We heard his name last week when we finished up that study. He also wrote one of the New Testament Gospels, and it's called, wait for it, the Gospel According to Luke. Anybody ever heard of it? And he begins the book of Acts as a a clear second part of the story. It's meant to be a continuation, a sequel to the story of Jesus that he recorded in his gospel. He says in the first book, that in the first book, he wrote about all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up, speaking here of Christ's ascension. And that in that earthly ministry, he gave the apostles commands upon which they were to build his church. The responsibility of the apostles was to continue the ministry of Jesus, to build his church. And here's how he tells them in Acts chapter 1 that they are to do that. They are to build the church by offering witness. Chapter 1 verse 8. You are to be witnesses, Jesus says. You're to be witnesses to, to who Jesus is and all that he taught them. And, and through that witness... Jesus will build his church. They were to give witness to the identity of Christ in the same way that that Peter gave witness to the identity of Christ in that passage that we read to begin our service this morning in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And here's the nature of the conversation that's recorded in that passage. Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks them, hey, who do people say that I am? And they give an answer. Well, some say it's John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are Jeremiah or the other prophets. But then Jesus gets a little bit more personal. And he asks his disciples perhaps the most important question that any of us will ever be asked. Okay, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, by God's grace, answers famously, you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus says something really remarkable. As he hears Peter's response, he says that through this witness, through this God-given declaration of the identity of Christ, Jesus will build his church. They were to give witness to the identity of Christ. And then they were also to give witness to all that Jesus taught them, the implications of who he is for those saved and called according to his purpose. Those who are called to Jesus are to declare God's plan for salvation that has been unfolding from the beginning and realized in the Son. 
Those who are called to Christ are to call the nations to repentance, to, to answer the question, hey, what does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? How is it that we actually find salvation in Christ and why do we need it? This is the gospel message that they and we are to proclaim one rooted in who Christ is because Christ alone as the son of God can offer the salvation that we desperately need because of our sin. Now, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for this ministry, for this call to be witnesses to who he is and what he had taught for the entire time they were with them. He had shown him his intent for them by the way that he ministered with them because Jesus went from town to town declaring the good news of his kingdom. And he did miracles to evidence his authority to proclaim such things with the intention of his apostles and then by extension the church to continue to do exactly what Jesus had done while on earth. And what's remarkable about the book of Acts is that we see this design, this intention of Jesus for the apostles and the church unfold. The apostles do exactly what Jesus did. They go from town to town in the known world at this time to places that had never heard the gospel of Jesus and they declare the good news. They tell people what, who Jesus is and they tell people the implications of who Jesus is, all that he had taught them. They, they went first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, and God did something miraculous through them. He evidenced his authority in them, the authority that had been given to them by Christ himself. And here's what we must believe, church family, today. That Jesus is still building his church in the exact same way. Jesus is still building his church through our faithful witness. We are to go to places where the gospel is absent or underrepresented, to go to places where there is clear gospel need and offer witness to Christ, to declare who he is, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he has offered us salvation by becoming our perfect substitute on the cross. Dying the death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God that we deserve for rebelling against our creator. But he overcame our greatest enemy's sin and death and now offers us life through his resurrection. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and we need to repent and be baptized. That's the message. Follow Jesus. Follow his teaching. That's the purpose of the church from the beginning. And it's the purpose for why this church was founded 143 years ago. In 1880, can you believe it? That this church has been around for that long? An area of our county was growing and there was no church close enough to offer faithful witness for these families who are moving up here. The Christians who were moving into this area needed a place to gather so they could sit under the ministry of the word and they acted. And look how God has blessed their faithfulness. We stand upon their shoulders today. We can tell story after story of the transforming work of the gospel that God has done through this church in the wake of their faithfulness. And we will. We will tell those stories over the next few weeks because we want that legacy to continue. If, by God's grace, 
This earth is still moving forward 143 years from now. We want those who sit here and Lord willing who sit at Creedmoor Road to say the same things about us that we are saying about those who have gone before us here at Bayleaf. Let's continue, church. Let's continue the legacy of that witness as we seek to continue the ministry of Jesus, allowing him, asking him to build his church through our faithfulness. Expectation number two, the church has been empowered to continue the ministry of Jesus. We're expected to continue the ministry of Jesus and we have been empowered. Not only has the church been called, we have been equipped. We have been given divine, supernatural help to help us walk in faithfulness, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, Jesus had taught his disciples about the Holy Spirit, about this helper during his earthly ministry. And John and his gospel records this conversation, records Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, verses 16 of his gospel. And here Jesus reminds the disciples, the apostles, and some of his parting words about their need for a helper. That they needed the helper in order to do everything that he was asking because the disciples could not be faithful witnesses. They could not do the ministry of Jesus without help. And so he says to, verse, to the, the apostles in verses four and five, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father that I told you about. Wait for the coming Holy Spirit because you need him. Remember, even in Peter's confession, that witness upon which Jesus will build his church, Jesus says of that confession, confession blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The Spirit is the one who enables us to see the reality of Christ. And the Spirit is the one who enables us to offer effective witness for Christ. And this Spirit dependency is by design. God has fashioned even our witnessing work in such a way that he always, always, always receives the glory. Even our kingdom work must be empowered by the Spirit so that we can never boast in ourselves. But we can only boast in the Lord who brings the increase. You see, it's only when the spirit falls on the apostles in Acts chapter two, that they begin to offer witness to Christ. And my goodness, what a witness it is. Because even though they're speaking about who Jesus is and what he taught them, what he had done in their own tongues, the nations who had gathered for Pentecost from other nations who spoke different languages begin to hear it in their own language. It's a remarkable miracle that could have only happened because of the work of the Spirit, because he was the one who gave them utterance. From the beginning, we see that for us as a church to be effective in the ministry of Jesus, we need the Spirit working in us and through us because only when the Spirit is the power behind our work and our witnessing can true gospel transformation happen. Third, expectation number three. The church must be unified to continue the ministry of Jesus. In Acts chapter two, we see the apostles and other disciples doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. 
They've not left Jerusalem. Rather, they have gathered in a room together to pray. The Bible says in verse one of chapter two that they were all together in one place. And we know from Acts chapter one, verse 14, that they were in one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. And as they gathered together in prayerful obedience, the Lord blessed that gathering and sent the Holy Spirit in glory. You see, the Spirit comes, yes, to empower, but also to unify. Because there's something powerful in the unity of our witness. And we should be asking the Lord to do the exact same thing today, just as the early church did. The, the disciples knew what Christ had promised. They knew what he commanded. And so they patiently, prayerfully pursued the promise of God until the Spirit fell. And God blessed this united pursuit. And hear me, the Lord will bless today our united pursuits of him. See, one of the most effective ways for, all, for us to offer witness to the work of Christ, to the power of the gospel, is through our unity. I heard someone say one time, the church itself is one of the greatest apologetics for Christianity, one of the greatest defenses for Christianity, because how else would you explain people from different backgrounds, different places around the world, different economic situations, different generations coming together in unity under the Lordship of Christ? What else could accomplish that? There's division everywhere, but yet there's, there's unity among the people of God because of the power of the gospel. Because of the power of the gospel. Listen, the enemy wants to divide us. He wants to distract us because he knows how that will affect our witness. But the gospel, through the working of the Spirit, overcomes that. It allows us to see the work of the enemy and recommit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. In order for us to be truly faithful in the ministry of Jesus, friends, we must be one, evidencing reconciliation with God and with one another. Expectation number four. The church must be faithful in the ministry of Jesus until he returns. One of the most challenging verses for me in this whole passage is in verse 11 of chapter one. Jesus has just corrected once again a misconception of the apostles. They were still thinking that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom of Israel in a political or military sense. They had not yet grasped the larger, more glorious work that Jesus intended, at least not yet. And then he, and after he answers their question and gives them their missionary task, the Bible says that Jesus, and what must have been a glorious display, ascends back into heaven. And the disciples are standing there, looking into heaven. I mean, how could you not? I imagine that, that what they saw was a wonderful thing to behold and it was difficult for them to turn their eyes away. But just, just as Jesus moves out of sight and as they're looking there, the Lord offers an extension of grace to these men. As they're marveling, two angels come and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again. He will come in the same way that you saw him go. Essentially, here's what the angels are saying. Guys, 
you got work to do. You've got work to do. And if you just stand here and wait for him to return, you will miss, you will miss the blessing of obedience to be about the work. As Jesus was about his father's work, you must be about the work of your Lord and master as well. He's entrusted you with a task, get about it. And this for me takes us back to a story that we've mentioned recently a lot out of the gospel of Matthew. And the Lord's been using it in my own life to refine me and help me think about this multiply moment. It's the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Maybe you remember it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. A master gives some servants a number of talents. He gives to one five one to two, and one, one. And he tells them, hey, take this gift I'm giving to you and steward it well. Take this piece of, of, of my kingdom, what I'm entrusting to you, and steward it well while I am gone. And two of the, faith, two of the, the men that God entrusted or the master entrusted the talents to are faithful. The one who has five doubles the amount. He works and sows and gets five more talents. The one who has two does the same. He doubles the amount entrusted to him as well. But the one who had one did not do that. See, he had a, a misunderstanding. He, had a mis, he didn't have the right idea about who his master was. And so in fear, he took the one talent and buried it until the day that his master returned. Now, the two who are faithful... Who are, who are good stewards of what had been entrusted to them were blessed. And they hear some of the most incredible words in all of scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. But let me just tell you, remind you about what Jesus said about the wicked servant. This is in verse 26 of Matthew 25. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, we've been given the gospel to steward well. We are to, to sow gospel seeds locally and globally for the glory of God. To sit and simply look into the heavens for Christ's return is not faithful. We need to be about our master's business. So church, let's get to it. Let's get to the work of multiplication for the glory of God. So let's think through some of the implications of these expectations on us today as we think about Creedmoor Road. I wanna kind of pull them in to relevance for us to pray about and think about as we begin multiply together. First, let me say this. We are still called to extend the ministry of Jesus. We are still called 
to be witnesses to the gospel so the world can be transformed by the gospel. We must be faithful to declare what or who he is and what he has commanded because there are people moving to Raleigh in historic numbers who need to hear the gospel message. You heard it in the video we played earlier. Over the next 40 years, it is projected that the metro area of Raleigh will almost double in size. Almost double. And just like in the late 1800s, we need more churches to offer gospel witness to this area. Churches who are faithful to the work to which God called us to. Here's the question. Will we respond today like all those families did 143 years ago? Secondly, we still need the empowerment of the spirit for all of this to work. And that's why we're calling our whole church to spend the next 40 days beginning tomorrow in prayer and fasting. We want to call upon the Lord to work in us so that he can work through us and so that he receives the honor. We want what happens not only here, continuing here, but also at Creedmoor Road to be the kind of work that can only be explained by the empowerment of God. And of course, when we seek the Lord in this way, it should bring us to a place of supernatural unity. And that's the third implication for us. We must seek to be unified as a people in this effort in order for God to effectively work through our corporate witness. Let us gather together in this initiative. See, our desire is for 100% of our church, 100% of our members are those who call Bayleaf home to be engaged and multiply in praying and seeking the Lord and stirring up one another in faithfulness and excitement and in giving. And as to giving, perhaps there's no better way for us to show our united commitment than by each of us seeking how God wants to use what we can give to collectively be able to fuel the mission that we believe God's calling us to at Creedmoor Road. Listen, there's no way the disciples could do all that God could, had called them to do on their own, even individually empowered by the Spirit. They needed each other. And there's no way that any one of us could do what God is calling us to do at Creedmoor Road on our own. We need each of us to be faithful to do what God is calling us individually to do or as individual families to do so that together, collectively, corporately, we can realize the vision God has given us for Creedmoor Road. And then finally, we want to do all of this so that we can be found faithful to the task when Jesus returns. Let me ask you this. What if Jesus returned today? What if Jesus returned tomorrow? What would he say about our obedience in terms of what he's entrusted to us? Would he say, Jared, Bayleaf, you've stewarded the gospel well. You've gone to places, you've gone to people who did not know what I did for them. And you told them. You've said to them, hey, this is how much God has loved you, that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you've helped them know how to, to walk in faithfulness and obedience after me. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
What do you say of us? You stewarded your resources really well. Your time, your talents, your treasure, you steward those things really well to fund the ministry of the church, to build the ministry of the church. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or would he say something else? Let's wrestle with that because one day he is going to return. And I hope that when he does, he will find us giving our all to this missionary task to this gospel task, that he will find this church committed to being a unified witness of the gospel so that the nations can be transformed by the gospel. So church, let's continue the ministry of Jesus. Let's be faithful to the purpose of the church. Let's multiply for the glory of God. Let me also say, to be faithful to the ministry of Jesus, you must have first received the ministry of Jesus. You can't join us if you're not a part of the people of God. You can't join us in proclaiming the gospel if you've not yet received the gospel. So let me say for anyone who is here today or watching online, there's never been a moment in your life when you've recognized how God has loved you in Christ, sending him to live a life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserved so that you could be saved from judgment and ushered in to the kingdom of his beloved son. If you've never recognized that, repented of your sin that separates you from a holy and righteous God and believed in Jesus alone for salvation, we'd invite you to respond like that today. We'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to pray with you about that if you feel the Lord leading you in that way. But for those of us who have received the ministry of Jesus, will we continue the ministry of, the Je- of Jesus? Will we be faithful witnesses to who he is and what he has done for his glory? until the day he returns. Wherever you are, you bow your heads. Ask the Lord to help you know how to respond. Father, would you move among us? Would you move in us so that you can move through us? God, we want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards of what it is that you have entrusted to us the gospel, this property, the giftedness of your people, would you help us be good and faithful stewards to offer a unified witness of your gospel so that people moving to Raleigh and people all over the world can be transformed by it in the power of the Spirit. Help us, we pray, to respond in a way that helps us walk in greater faithfulness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.